Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, just a couple of announcements as we begin, as we gather for worship. Uh, we will not have Bible study tonight. Please um, enjoy time with family celebrating the resurrection. But the rest of our weekly uh, schedule will move on as normal, which is found there on the back of your bulletin. Also, the women of the church are announcing that they are starting a women's out to lunch bunch. And this will be held on the last Tuesday of each month. So this month will be April 27th at Food and Friends. So contact Linda Moore if you'd like more information on that. Um, I have one other thing. Are there any other announcements? Hi. Yes. I Wow. He lives in Greensboro with his mom, my niece Brittany, and his dad, Josh, and his child grandfather, my nephew, Danny McMahon. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, great. All right, it's not often we get to celebrate two things on one day. <laughs> so as is our tradition today is we will sing happy birthday to Missy. And uh, so before we get started. birthday, Missy. Any other announcements? Well, if not, our, our call to worship, actually most of our service is found in the bulletin. Our call to worship today is a responsive reading, so I'll read a little bit and then you respond and then I'll read a little more and then, then you respond. So as we are called into God's worship uh, by Revelation 5 today, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels Numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Great and powerful God, you have shown the worthiness of the Lamb who was slain by raising him from the dead. And it is his worthiness imputed to us that allows us to gather in your presence without fear of your wrath or your judgment. We are here at your call to worship and praise your holy name. May you be pleased by our presence and may we be comforted by yours. Remind us that you are present with us in this place and everywhere else we go. Hear us as we pray this prayer which the Lamb taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we can and should offer praise and worship to him. So please take your hymn book, that maroon book there in the pew before you, and turn to hymn number 204. Jesus Christ is risen today. Let us stand and lift our voices in praise and worship to God by singing hymn number 204. seated. Acts 17, 32 says that when some of them heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. We often doubt the truths of God's word and the resurrection, or we deny the reality of the hope that the resurrection brings to our dark and depressing world. 
So let us go to God and confess the times when we have doubted His truth and His promises. Lift up your heads and hear the assurance given to us by John in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Because much has been given to secure our life and our salvation, we are called to worship God by the giving of tithes and offerings. We have a basket here in the front. We have another offering plate in the narthex in the entryway um, where you can place your tithes and offerings. And so prayerfully consider what you would give what God would have you give today.
Let us pray. God above, you have provided life, salvation, and guidance to holiness through the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have also provided the things we need for daily sustenance and survival. And we have responded to all that you have given by returning a portion to you in these tithes and offerings. Please be honored by them and use them for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take the hymn book once again and turn to hymn number 203. The strife is o'er, the battle done. We learn in Philippians 2 that Jesus took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And the resurrection announced that his battle, that his strife was over. And so was ours. As his children, we have the reality that we await the glorious day when we are glorified. But that reality is ours now. So let us worship God by singing hymn 203, The Strife is O'er, The Battle Done. Please be seated. Please look in your bulletins for our profession of faith today, which comes from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer 52. 
The writers of the Catechism helpfully divided Jesus' life into two periods, the period of his humiliation and the period of his exaltation. And today we confess the reality that his period of exaltation began with the resurrection. Now, there is a lot in this question and answer. And so I would encourage you to take some time today and over the week to, co- to, to think about and to consider the words and the phrases in this question and answer from the larger catechism. So how was Christ exalted in his resurrection? Christ's exaltation in his resurrection began with his body not decaying, since it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. On the third day he rose again from the dead by his own power, and in the very same body, with all its essential qualities in which he had suffered, and it was truly united to his soul. By his resurrection, he plainly declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have conquered death as well as him who holds the power of death, and to be Lord of the living and the dead. He did all this as a general representative of humanity and as head of his church in order to justify believers, make them alive in his grace, support them against their enemies, and assure them that they too will be resurrected from the dead at the last day. Amen. I have some prayer updates. Uh, Janie is back in the hospital. She had a, a very mild attack last night. They just wanted to go in to make sure it wasn't related to some of the strokes she'd been having. They kept her overnight for observation. Hopefully later today, tomorrow at the latest, she'll be able to be home. So please continue to pray for Janie and lift her up. Um, are there any other uh, prayer requests or updates? Hi. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And uh, to let everyone know that Don is doing well. She is up and about and is actually doing some driving with me in the car. Good. And uh, so he is really improved, but yeah, continues to need our prayers. Okay. We'll continue to pray for him. Anything else? Okay. Okay. So, yeah, please continue to pray for Cohen Bramley. Anything else? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of truth, you made a promise to Abraham many, many years ago. You promised him land, offspring, and you brought those promises to be. You also promised him that he and his descendants would be a blessing to the nations. And you have kept that promise as well. You have sent your son, the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, to take on human nature and dwell among us. 
In taking on human nature, Jesus did not become less, but remained truly God and added a truly human nature to the divine. And in taking on this nature, he suffered under the powers of this world. He felt the sting of loss. He felt the temptation to sin, the temptation to despair, the temptation to do his own thing in rebellion against you. Yet he persisted in righteousness and did not give in to the temptations presented to him. He perfectly followed your will. He perfectly followed your law. He pursued your glory above his own and truly and completely loved you and his neighbor. You promise life for those who completely and perfectly obey your law. The rewards for keeping the law is life in the presence of God in God's dwelling place. But instead of life, he took your wrath upon himself for the sins of your chosen children. Our sins were given to him and punished on the cross and in the grave. And taking this punishment upon himself, a human judge for human sin. He was then able to give his life to us. We are covered by his righteousness to such an extent that when you look at us, you see his righteousness. But thanks be to God, the story did not end at the cross. You found his work and sacrifice worthy. So he was not left to to the decay of the grave. Lord, on the third day he rose, and in that rising we are able to know the hope of life eternal with you. A life that is truly ours now, but will be fully realized in the future. And the glories of life are not restricted to the ethnic people of God. They are extended through the Holy Spirit to all the nations. In Jesus' work, death, and resurrection, your your truly fulfilled and continue to fulfill the promise made to Abraham. What glorious news to a darkened and dying world. What glorious news to know that reconciliation with the Creator, God of the universe, is possible through Jesus. This work reminds us as well of the hope that is ours in Jesus. Just as He suffered and was glorified, we will suffer and have the hope of glory to come. We struggle through this world wondering how we will survive, how we will take one more step, wondering how much longer we must live under the weight of sadness and despair. But your glorious hope breaks into that wondering and reminds us that your children have the hope of glory to see us through the difficulties of this life. Today we lift up to you those whom we love who suffer under the weight of health issues and ask that you fill them with the hope of the glory of the resurrection. We lift Janie up to you and ask that you remind her that joy and glory and strength are worked through the weakness of our bodies. We thank you that Don is doing better and that your church was able to minister well to him and to Donna. And we ask that you would continue to bring him healing and continue to bring him the hope of the glory of the resurrection in the midst of his weakness and his struggle. We pray for the Bramleys as they are weak and weary in the midst of this world. Remind them, as you did, Paul, that we are abandoned and struck down, but we are not destroyed. Because you always, always work strength through weakness. And you always bring glory through the suffering of your people. Lord, remind the Bramleys, remind us 
of that hope that we have, that as we live in the reality of the resurrection, that your defeat of death and sickness and sin is ours through Jesus. And O Lord, remind us that we live every day in the hope of the glorious proclamation, He is risen indeed. When we suffer the attacks of pestilence by night and the arrows by day, grow in us the hope of He is risen indeed. When we suffer the attacks and temptations of the evil one and despair of our struggle with sin, grow within us the hope of He is risen indeed. When depression and anxiety stalk our daily life, grow within us the hope of He is risen indeed. We trust You because You are a promise-keeping God. And You showed Your trustworthiness in the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in His dear name that we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 17. This is not your typical Easter passage. Typically when we think of Easter, we think of one of the passages in the four Gospels or Paul's wonderful words to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. That wonderful defense of the resurrection. But today I wanted to look at at the words that Paul gives to the philosophical council there in Athens and how he brought the light of the resurrection into the darkness and despair of their world. So please read along as I read these words from Acts 17, beginning in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live 
and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. After that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do ask today that you help us to see how the glory of the resurrection meets us in this world, this world that is dark and despairs. Help us to see how the resurrection brings light and hope to us and to this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to author and sociologist Charles Taylor, we live in what he calls a haunted world. Now, this isn't haunted in the sense that, you know, you see those shows on television where they go and they're, they're ghost hunting in these old houses or, or even up in Weston. What he means by haunted is that we, over the last 500 years in our culture, have moved from a culture that could not see the possibility of denying that there was some type of divine to living in a culture to where that is not only understood, but accepted as the main way to live. That the, the divine, a God or deity has no effect on our life at all. But the haunted part of that is the realization that each of us carries. An echo, if you will, that, that there just has to be something else out there. Something more. We walk wanderingly and purposely in a world of earthly existence where we truly don't believe that anything exists beyond what we can see, taste, touch, feel, hear, or smell. And yet, there's that echo of something beyond this world. And unfortunately, as we wander purposelessly in this world, asking ourselves, why am I here and for how long? We seek to numb the echo. We seek to numb the darkness and the despair. In today's passage, Paul is dealing with a very similar culture, even though it happened 2,000 years ago. There truly is nothing new under the sun. And so what I want us to look at today is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And how Paul's alternative brings light and hope. First, the more things change, the more they stay the same. From history, we learn that the people of first century Greece were dealing with many of the same issues that we deal with today. It was probably about three or four hundred years prior to Paul's arrival in Athens that Greece had seen its heyday under Alexander the Great. They were the center of military might. Greece and Athens was the center of 
political, and philosophical might. Athens was the center of all wealth and thought in the world. But after a series of internal strife, defeat by the Romans, and life lived as a conquered people, Athens had become a very pluralistic culture. We see this where Paul was meeting in the area where they had idols and altars to all the different gods that they could think of. In fact, just to hedge their bets, they had an altar to an unknown god. Because even with all these other gods that they worship, they felt, well, there's just got to be one extra thing out there that we might be missing. And in this expansion of religious belief, the Athenians had actually flattened their belief. They believed so much that they believed nothing, that they believed in nothing. All the religions of the world offer different problems to the same questions, sometimes even outright contradictory answers to the questions. And if everybody's right, how do you pick and choose which one to follow? This religious confusion led the people of Athens to a place of darkness and despair. We have evidence in historical records that during Paul's time, suicide rates in Athens were drastically on the rise as people tried and failed to deal with the darkness and despair of a pluralistic, haunted world that tried to live lives according to a system that could not truly bring light into darkness. To counter this darkness, to counter this despair, they the people of Athens had embraced two different philosophies. I know, I know, philosophy. I've lost most of you, but hold on here for just a few minutes. They'd embraced two different ways of thought to deal with this darkness and despair. And, and, and Luke addresses them here in this passage. He says that a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul. The Epicureans believed that pleasure was the way to dull the darkness of the world. Now, this isn't the fully hedonistic pleasure where you just imbibe absolutely everything, trying to numb your senses with as much as you can. This was a, a refined, very particular pursuit of pleasure where you pursued it just enough to not get bored with it. You know, you go to McDonald's and you're hungry for a Big Mac. I mean, you are just starving for a Big Mac. So you grab three. And the first one is just, if you like Big Macs, that first one is just divine. The second one, not so much. The third one, you're like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Some of you might be saying that on the first one. But that's what the Epicureans tried to avoid. You would... You would just get the one chocolate truffle and enjoy one a day just so you could taste the sweetness and the bitterness as it played with the chocolate and the sugar and the milk. And you could just for a moment enjoy the rapture of the pleasure of that chocolate truffle. But you didn't dare have a second one on the off chance that you would become bored with the pleasure and thereby lose the peace of mind that you were seeking. Stoics, Stoicism was the other competing philosophy, and, and the Stoics relied upon reason 
in order to find the peace of mind that they sought. They live by the motto, you can't control what happens to you. You can only control how you react with what to what happens to you. As an aside here, there is truth in both of these. God has given us the pleasures of the world to enjoy. And there is a reality that we cannot control what happens to us. We can only control how we react to what happens to us. But but what the Stoics sought to do was to seek peace of mind through the elimination, through reason, the elimination of emotional response to good things and bad things. If you could make your way through life responding emotionally even keeled to everything, to both the joys and the sadnesses, you could truly find peace of mind. It was peace of mind found through the suppression of emotional response. And the reality is we are not too far from either of these responses today in our world to the darkness and despair around us. Many people pursue pleasure in order to deal with the struggles and strife of this world. It could be the pleasure of the Epicureans. It could be oftentimes the pleasure of the hedonists, where it's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Others seek to regulate their response to these struggles and strifes by seeking an inner peace that has no uh, happy response to life's highs and no sad response to life's lows. Interestingly enough, many of the Eastern New Age religions do teach this almost stoic way of life to where we seek to balance our karma to get the best outcome in the next life. Can you see where these would fail? Or the pursuit of pleasure, even the smallest of pleasures where you're trying not to overdo it, you're just really trying to enjoy if that is the ultimate goal of life. Can you see where that would fail? Can you see where it is nigh upon impossible to regulate our emotional response to the world around us and maintain humanity? There are things in our world that should break our hearts and make us weep. There are things in our world that should bring great joy and exuberance to our lives. The Epicureans and the Stoics did not have the answers for Athens and they do not have the answers for us either. And so Paul gives them an alternative. Paul speaks within the despair, within the darkness, and he gives an otherworldly response to the struggles. The resurrection. As Paul teaches the resurrection of Jesus, he's brought before the council to explain the philosophy that he's presenting. And so he gives them the gospel. As Paul often does, as to all the questions of life that Paul is given, that Paul deals with, he always answers with the gospel. He always answers with the truth of God, man, Christ, and our need to respond. So he starts with God in verses 22 and 23, and he tells them, hey, look, you you worship this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He existed before all time. He will continue to exist when time ends. He doesn't need us to serve him. He is perfectly self-sufficient, perfectly existent within himself. We talk about love. Love existed within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
He didn't need us to love. We talk about serving each other and relating to one another. God served himself and related to himself within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not need us. This is different from all the mythology that Paul dealt with, where the gods needed humanity to do something for them. So Paul hits them right off the bat with saying, God exists and he doesn't need you. But he created you anyway. He created this earth. He created the universe and he put humans in it. And why did he put humans in them in this earth to worship him, to honor and to glorify him? This God who didn't need you, this God who doesn't need your worship, doesn't need your praise, created you for that very specific reason. We live in a world where people wander around not knowing why they exist. What is the chief end of man? They might not put it that way, but that's the question they're asking. And God gives us the answer. It's to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. But there's a problem. Paul goes on to beginning in verse 29, and he reminds us that instead of worshiping God, we took silver and gold and wood and other things of this earth and we crafted them into things for us to worship instead of God. We, as John Calvin says, are idol factories. And the ultimate idol that we worship is ourselves. We talked a little bit about conflict in context of Philippians chapter 3 and 4 today in Sunday school. And we realize in, in comparing that to James, to James' letter, that the reason we have conflict is because it's all about me. And if you were standing here, you would say it's all about you. And those two things don't go together when I am always right and you're wrong, but you think that you're always right and I'm wrong. We worship ourselves. We worship an idol made in our own image. And Paul says this is a problem because it will bring judgment. And we should repent of our idolatry and repent of the fact that we refuse to worship the God who created us. And he says the one that it will judge us is the human Jesus, fully God, fully divine, who purchased for us righteousness. And then God showed him worthy of bringing salvation and of judging by raising him from the dead. And this is the message that brings hope into a hopeless world. The message of the resurrection. It brings hope for two reasons. First, it is the message of sins forgiven. Jesus lived a perfect life. He followed God's law perfectly. He loved God perfectly. He loved his neighbor perfectly. And he died. What's the promise of keeping the law? It's life. And if he died... And that was it. And his righteousness was not enough to even glorify himself. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we're the biggest of fools for following this Savior. If he's still lying in a grave somewhere, there is no forgiveness of sin. And if God exists, we are without hope whatsoever in his presence. But that's not the end. 
Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, we see that his sacrifice was worthy. His righteousness was worthy to save those who believe. Jesus' righteousness was enough to pay to cover us. His sacrifice was worthy to redeem us. And the resurrection proves this. And secondly, the second thing that the resurrection brings, the second way the resurrection brings hope into a hopeless world is that the resurrected Christ is the message that answers the darkness and despair of our world. Pierce Taylor Hibbs works and teaches in the Theological English Department at Westminster Theological Seminary. And he struggles with long-term clinical anxiety, the crushing kind. In his book, Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully in Anxiety, he, he talks about asking himself this question, what is God trying to teach me in this panic attack? And he says that one of the things that God has taught him is that God always, always works his strength in our weakness. But not only does he always work his strength in our weakness, but he is always working glory through weakness. We confessed earlier. As we read, how was Jesus exalted in the in the resurrection? That his body did not see decay while he laid in the grave. A human body, broken, bruised, and battered. A human soul beaten by the judgment of God brought about the glory of our salvation. And when we suffer, when we struggle, when we are oppressed by the darkness and despair of this world, the resurrection gives us hope that there's glory on the other side. Sometimes we get to see the glory here. But even the glory we see here, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is just a dim, darkened reflection of the true glory that awaits us when our bodies are resurrected as His is. When we are glorified as He is now. And Paul tells the Athenians, he says, look, you are trying to find ways to deal with the darkness and despair of this world that are going to fail because they are rooted in this world. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings the true answer, the true hope of glory and light in the darkness. We live, brothers and sisters, in a dark and despairing world. And our world offers many different attempts to bring peace of mind in the darkness. But the resurrection is the only hope in this sin-darkened world. And then Luke wraps up as an account by reminding us of the two different ways that people respond to this message. The majority of people that heard Paul sneered. It's not a good word. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They thought he was, dare I say, an idiot for believing in the resurrection of the dead. We carry a glorious light into a darkened world. 
and the world's going to laugh at us. They think we're idiots for believing. But that's not the only way people responded. There were a few that listened and said, we want to hear more. Some people are going to hear the message that we have and they're going to be curious and they're going to want to learn more. And so Paul talked with them. And then even a few of those became followers of Paul and believed. Believed in the light of the resurrection. Those are the ways in which the world will respond to the message that we proclaim. These are the ways that the world will respond to Easter, to Resurrection Sunday. But let us be careful as followers, as believers, that we don't buy into the world's system that this is all there is. We believe. Good. We come to church. Good. What happens at 1215? Does the resurrection mean anything to you this afternoon? Tomorrow morning, Wednesday, when you've just had it with work and you just can't wait for Friday to get here. Or when Friday evening shows up and the weekend doesn't hold the promise that you thought it did. What hope does the resurrection bring to you? Because we are going to struggle with the darkness and despair of this world, whether it comes through the drudgery of work, the drudgery of family life, the drudgery of health problems, the drudgery of financial problems. Wherever the despair comes to you, are you going to allow the light of the resurrection to fill that darkness with God's light and God's glory? Because our temptation is to fall into the trap that we get our spiritual high, our spiritual feeding for the one hour a week, and then we go and live as if it doesn't matter. Don't fall into that trap, brothers and sisters. The resurrection brings you light as well. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that when Paul saw the darkness and despair of Athens, he says the answer is the resurrection. And we thank you that this was neither the first time he was laughed at nor the last time. And yet he was so emboldened, so strengthened in his weakness, so hopeful in despair that he saw nothing else as the answer except the resurrection and he continued to proclaim it. Lord, we're going to leave this place today celebrating, singing hallelujah because Jesus is raised from the dead. He is risen indeed. Remind us that that matters tomorrow as well. Remind us that that matters in June. Remind us that that matters in October. Remind us that that matters and strengthens and gives hope 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to lift our voices in praise. It is good to be reminded that the day of resurrection is at hand. So let us take the hymn book and turn to number 208. And remember that we anxiously await our resurrection, which is sure because of His.
So let us stand and sing hymn 208, The Day of Resurrection. with me in proclaiming he is risen. He is risen indeed. As you leave this place to serve in the name of the Lord, take this blessing upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.